Earlier this month, I took some vacation time and had the chance to spend a week in Provincetown, Massachusetts, out on the very tip of Cape Cod. Historically, Provincetown started out as a fishing village, a place on Cape Cod where people fished for cod. Over the years, Provincetown, P-Town as it's known, also became an artist's colony of sorts as painters and poets alike were drawn to its coastal New England light and life. And over the years, it also became a refuge for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people, for the LGBTQIA community, particularly for queer folks living in the Northeast, New York and Boston, over the 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, Provincetown became a safe haven. It became a place where we could go and be fully ourselves apart from the lives we lived back home, which were to varying degrees and in different ways lived in the closet in a world that made our lives and our loves illegal. Provincetown became a safe harbor. Folks like playwright Tennessee Williams, poet Mary Oliver, Province, all those poems from Mary Oliver, she's talking about Provincetown and the ways around there, um, and the artist Mark Rothko, they all called it home, and so many others came for refuge and for rest. Over the years, Provincetown has retained a bit of all that. The fishing boats still come and go. It still has this small town feel, though you know that you're not in Tennessee because you can still expect now and then to see a drag queen freely walking down the street to her next show. It's also now a tourist destination with a diverse array of folks from all over, straight people too. The first weekend we were there this year just happened to be Provincetown's Pride celebration. They are early on the Pride Month calendar. San Francisco and New York with parades today are the closers for Pride Month. Now, some might say that every day in Provincetown is Pride. But on Pride weekend, they too do all the Pride things. I went to the rally at the town hall. You know I love a rally and a good march. And they had a parade, but actually they called it a sachet. We sashayed out of town hall into the streets because, because a parade requires a permit. And that weekend, as you walked up and down the main street, you'd hear again and again the songs of pride, the songs that have come to be pride anthems. At the rally in town hall, someone sang, I am what I am from La Caja Fol. I bang my own drums. Some think it's noise. I think it's pretty. Throughout the weekend, there was the dance beat of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out. I want the world to know. I've got to let it show. The Village People's YMCA. The Indigo Girls Closer to Find. Fine. Now, I name those particular songs because I'm a gay man of a certain age. Younger queer folks would likely name Lady Gaga's Born This Way or Beyonce's You Won't Break My Soul. These pride anthems, they are the songs we know by heart. We have sung these songs in pride parades and on dance floors. We have also sung these songs holding each other through the worst of times. 
We've sung these songs as we emerged from the closet as a community after Stonewall, and then in the 1980s and 90s to stand for and with those living and dying in the worst of the HIV-AIDS epidemic. We've sung these songs in the struggle for marriage equality, the struggle just to have the world see our families as fully human. We sing these songs now in protest to stop the violence and the hate directed far too often against our transgender siblings. When we sing these songs now, we sing them not just remembering our history, but bringing it to life again in the midst of the present struggle as across the nation and around the world, we see a continued increase in physical and legislative attacks against LGBTQIA people, our bodies and our families and our children. These are the songs we know by heart. They say something of the struggle we have lived together. They say something of who we are in a world that too often would rather that we not say or even be who we are. They have become a part of us. They are there when we need them. And when we sing them, we enter into the song again, and together we find our way to life. The Psalms are like that. On a much bigger scale, around the world, across traditions, down through the generations, for so many, the Psalms are the songs we know by heart. The Psalms emerged as the songs of the people, the sung prayers of the people. As the Hebrew people, the people of Israel, live life together in relationship with God over the course of the stories we encounter in the Old Testament, these, these Psalms, are the songs they sang and eventually came to write down as a fixed part of their tradition, the songbook of their lives. If you skim through the Psalms, you'll see that a number of them are attributed to King David. Now, he, he may have written some of them, but it's more likely that the writers of the Psalms invoked his name to connect the Psalms to the David tradition, to the tradition of a strong king leading an embattled nation. It's more likely that the Psalms were written over time from the time of King Solomon all the way through the Babylonian exile and return over a span of more than 500 years. Now, for perspective, that's a time span bigger than from the time of Shakespeare to today. The Psalms were written in community by community. As one writer says, the Psalms were written in no specific order. They arose impromptu from a variety of individual life situations, and they were shaped by a community over time. The Psalms emerged out of the fullness of life lived together, and they have continued to be the songs of a people living with God. The Psalms engage God in every bit of that life. As we noticed last week, they cover the full range of human emotion and experience. The Psalms sing of lament and liberation, comfort, fear, bewilderment, anger, gratitude, wisdom, longing, celebration, desperation, loneliness, community, deep calm, and vibrant praise. 
the Psalms are honest, sometimes shocking, or as one writer says, they are honest but not obvious. They voice emotions we might not expect to speak out loud to God. The things we sometimes think we shouldn't say to God or to anyone else. The Psalms are songs. That's what the word psalm means, something sung, more specifically something sung to a stringed instrument. Some psalms are clearly written to be sung as a part of worship. There's a group of them written as pilgrimage songs. They're called the Songs of Ascent, to be sung by the people as they head up the hills toward Jerusalem. Psalm 121 is one of those. I lift up mine eyes to the hills. You can imagine them doing that as they're going up those hills. And some are deeply personal and intimate. The people singing of those times when we sing to God alone in the middle of the night from a bed soaked with our tears. That's actually an image from Psalm 6. The Psalms are also poetry, and that's important to remember. The Psalms are not written to convey factual information. They sing with imagery that says something of our life with God, with images that give us a glimpse of something too big to name or even fully comprehend. They play with language and rhythm. In our culture, one of the conventions of poetry is rhyme. In Hebrew poetry, it's repetition. Look for that in these psalms. They say it, and then they say it again. The psalms voice emotion. They shout, they whisper, they groan. They don't necessarily endorse the motions they express. They just name them as true, real. This is what life is sometimes like. When the psalmist rages, the psalm isn't saying that we should rage like that, but rather that we do sometimes rage like that. Whether we say it out loud to each other or not, and that God listens to us even when we rage. The Psalms are prayers. In the Psalms, we sing our life to God, and God sings our life with us. Every distress on the way to deliverance, every lament into the wide expanse of liberation, every lonesome groan into the singing of a people together, the songs we know by heart. I thought we'd start out this summer with two of the most familiar beloved psalms, and let's just take, a, take some, a couple minutes to look at those. Let's look at Psalm 121. I'm going to ask the tech team to go ahead and put it up on the... Look, there, a step ahead of me. There it is. So this is Psalm 121. Do you know where I first encountered the psalm, this psalm, Psalm 121? The sound of music. This is what Mother Superior says to Fraulein Maria to encourage her. I lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. But you know what? 
For centuries, we have read this in the King James translation as a statement. But the original Hebrew is better translated like it is here as a question. The psalmist looks up and danger is coming over those hills. And so she asks, where's my help coming from? Trouble is all around. From whence cometh my help? Notice the poetry of that. The psalmist looks up to the hills, asks, where is my help coming from? Answers, my help is coming from God. The psalmist looks back up to those hills, my help is coming from the maker of all that, the maker of all this, the God who is the God of all that, the hills, the danger, all the heavens, all the earth. Notice the, some of the poetic parallels that I mentioned. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, the one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist has to emphasize that. God will neither slumber nor sleep because sometimes, sometimes it sure feels like God is asleep. The psalms can say that. The sun will not harm you by day, the moon by night. God will watch over your coming and your going now and forever. Everywhere, all the time, in every distress, God will come to help. Let's look at Psalm 23. Psalm 23 wraps that assurance up in this lush and lovely imagery. There is comfort abounding in this psalm, but also notice danger lurking not far off. There's the valley of the shadow of death right there in the midst of this psalm. There are enemies on the prowl. God nourishes it at a table because we're famished. God leads us beside the still waters and gives us rest because we are weary. All that we need, God's hand provides. We see God doing the shepherding things, providing, accompanying, protecting, nourishing, leading us home always to a place of rest. And sometimes, in these familiar words, we see something new, even though we've heard them a hundred, a thousand times. Just a few months ago, I was reading Psalm 23 in that prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, that really caught my eye. I've always read that as comfort and protection against my enemies. So I can get rested and nourished and back into the battle. But a couple of months ago I read it and I thought, what if, what if that is a table for me and my enemies? A table before me and for my enemies, in the presence of my enemies, for us both, for us all. What if 
what if God is providing a table and a place where we all can feast together? For thousands of years, and you can take the slides down, for thousands of years, folks have drunk deeply from the Psalms and found their living water. The invitation as we begin this summer with the Psalms is to take a sip. To take a sip and to savor a psalm or two or three. And here's some ideas for getting started. Things you could do this week, and I'll start easy. Over the course of this week, you could read a psalm out loud. You could pick one of these two or any of the 150. Read it out loud to be sure the psalms are words on a page that we can read and ponder in our hearts absolutely and Psalms are written to be spoken and sung. Read one out loud and see how it comes to life. Or you could read some of the short psalms. Start easy. And here's something that I just learned. There is a group of shorter psalms all bunched together in one place. It's those songs of ascent that I mentioned. So from Psalms 120 through 134, they're all short. I promise you, there are no long psalms in there. And there's some, 121 is in there from this week, 126 from, la, from last week is in there. And give those a read and see what you notice. And if you read those psalms, you've read 15, you've read one-tenth of all the psalms that are in the Bible. If you find one that particularly resonates, you could give a try memorizing it. Claim it as a song you know by heart. The beauty and power of that is then when you take a psalm in, it's there when you need it. You never know. You may be close already with Psalm 23 or Psalm 121. You could join us online for Tuesday morning prayer at 7 a.m., I'll say a little bit more about that during the announcements. Pray a couple of psalms in a community with kindred spirits. Or you could pray a psalm on your own. Read it slowly. Savor it. Maybe ask, where's the trouble in this psalm? Where's the trouble I'm feeling in my life? Where is the psalmist finding God in all of that? Or you could listen and ask, as I look around our world, who is in trouble? Who is calling out for help? How can I be the shade at their right hand? God is my shepherd. I shall not want. She leads me beside the still waters. She restores my soul. Take a sip from those waters and savor. I think maybe a couple of you know this, that over the past few months, I have been sitting for interviews with a documentarian, Lynn Garber, who's doing a podcast documentary on Janie Spar. So she's been interviewing Janie, she's been inter interviewing me as her lawyer. Um, Lynn is a scholar and historian of the LGBTQIA movement, and we all know Janie's ministry is historic. This week was my fourth, our fourth and final interview session. Lynn and I have spent some good time together. And as we were wrapping up on Thursday, 
I told Lynn how I would be talking about pride anthems this Sunday and talking about how they are the songs we know by heart. And Lynn said, well, don't forget Holly Near's Singing for Our Lives. And I thought, oh, of course. Now, I don't know if you know this one or not. It doesn't have the dance beat of I Will Survive. But when those rallies or vigils get real, this is what we sing. We are a gentle, angry people, and we are singing, singing for our lives. We are a land of many colors, and we are singing, singing for our lives. We are gay and straight together, and we are singing, singing for our lives. We are a peaceful, loving people, and we are singing, singing for our lives. The Psalms are the songs we know by heart. We sing them out of the real things of life. We sing them, and in a way, they sing us. They sing us toward each other. They sing us into community. They sing us closer to the God who is always near, who is always on the way, who neither slumbers nor sleeps, who leads us beside the still waters, who watches over our coming in and our going out, both now and forevermore. 